Welcome to the Captivating Leadership Podcast with Rebecca Livesey, where we explore the rise of feminine energy in life, leadership and business. This podcast is for you if you are a leader in business and corporate and you're struggling to find meaning in what you do and how you engage your team. So join us as we talk all things leadership, strategy and culture and how we value both the feminine and the masculine in men, women and society at large to make a difference in our workplaces. Today, we're joined again by the fabulous Nikki Miglos-Woodley, and we're talking about the energy of an entrepreneur. Entrepreneur have a bit of a reputation for always being busy and hustling and getting things done, but they also need the creative chaos to have new ideas. So is the energy masculine or feminine? Is it a balance or a little bit of both? And when do we know which one to roll out? So in this podcast, we're going to be touching on trust too. Is it conditional or unconditional? And how do we have the self-love to do this journey? It's a great discussion and I'm so happy to have Nikki with us again. Enjoy. Hello, everybody, and welcome. And today we're going to be talking about the energy of entrepreneurship. Uh, there's a couple of different factors to really take into consideration here. And the first I want to um, welcome my gorgeous co-host here, uh, Beck, to start the conversation around how we consciously and unconsciously embrace or bring the masculine and feminine energy to the world of entrepreneurship. Beck, welcome. <laughs> Thanks, Nikki. Well, it's interesting. We've been having a few conversations on this, and I think it started with um, the premise that, oh, doesn't entrepreneurship uh, originate from the feminine? Because it's normally about creativity, um, looking at the world in a slightly different way, solving some sort of problem in a creative, collaborative manner. And, um, and yes, this might be oversimplifying it, but just giving you the, like, where the conversation generated from. Um, so it started with the feminine. And then we see these companies that we would class as entrepreneurship companies, and they get to a certain size, and suddenly things start to go wrong. And it seems that the dysfunctional masculine, the power and status dynamics come into play. And suddenly um, we've lost the original intent of what that business was all about. And we start focusing on all of the bad things that are going on in the culture. And there's been a few high profile cases recently in, in that space. And it got us thinking, well, what's the tipping point? Like at what point does a an idea become a business and then a business grow to a point where um, it needs a lot of work done on its culture, a lot of sustainable systems put in place to keep the culture going. And if that work isn't conscious, what's the tipping point where the dysfunctional masculine comes in and suddenly power status, all that sort of stuff is the, the things that play out. Um, and that just started some interesting conversations with us, didn't it, Nikki? And so we were there going, okay, so is it masculine, feminine, this good mix? Like, how do you make sure you're maintaining that, that balance that's going to um, yeah. get results for both your outcomes and for your culture? Yeah. Absolutely. Back. And, well, as you're saying that, the other thing that's coming up as well is, you know, is it that with this whole entrepreneurship and starting that business and the startup or whatever phase of those early phases and stages of business that there are, um, if we can put sustainable or functional masculine metrics into place, um, then does that actually avoid the dysfunctional masculine coming into place when all of a sudden the chaos is too much? So it turns from creative chaos, um, embracing the chaos, the wild side in a positive, resourceful way, all of a sudden it t comes, turns into a point of 
wow, we need systems and processes to be able to deal with this. And then that's, again, like you say, the tipping point for masculine, unresourceful masculine to come into play. Now, if we then take a step back, I was mentioning earlier, I've just finished reading a book called The E-Myth, which was written, you know, in the early 80s originally and then revised in 1995, which even that is, what's that, 20 years ago or 30 years ago? (laughs) 30 years ago. Or 20. Anyway, yeah, can't add up, but that's okay. Um, But again, what this book is really about is making sure that you have structures, systems, processes in place. Even if you're a solopreneur, you're a one-man band, to the extent, Beck, of actually writing an org chart out. So Mm. an org chart from a CEO, COO, COO, all the way down to, um, you know, the sales reps, the, the people that are the technicians, etc., and placing your name in each or the small team in each. Uh, and then as you grow, it's setting you for up for success. So I'm thinking now, again, as we're, as we're talking about this, is that an example of functional masculine in the early days? But then also, how do you not let that um, damper that creative chaos, that wild side uh, that some people would label as entrepreneurship? And that, yeah, it's interesting because I wonder if, the creative chaos, the creative wild side, which we want actually goes too far into the dysfunctional feminine. Uh, And so, and then the dysfunctional masculine is sort of coming out to counteract it. If we're doing this all unconsciously, right, this is not people thinking about doing this. This is just happening. So I'm wondering if the creative chaos has gone too far. And Mm. so somehow it attracts in the other dysfunction. Don't know. But I think what you're talking about there around, um, putting in structures and processes that, that like people bulk from doing this now. And you, you know that I'm not a huge fan of over bureaucratizing, bureaucratizing or whatever, uh, over structurizing things. Um, but if we don't put any in, you can't build sustainability into business because there's nothing replicable. So it, there's definitely a need. Um, and bringing that functional masculine in at that point is is really important. I'm just so curious as to at what point then does the power status button get turned on? And maybe it was always there. It's just, it's magnified in this context when there's lots and lots of people and your behavior as a leader just can't, you know, can't go unchallenged at that point when there's lots and lots of people. Yeah, definitely. And it could also be, you know, what point is the, because if we think about, you know, a a high masculine energy, there can be a fear of loss of control. Mm. Um, It could be that there is fear that there's stress driving this. And we also know that um, resourceful and unresourceful or dysfunctional and um, functional can be driven by um, stress factors. So if that, you know, what else? So it could be, is it that the Created chaos, for example, is extended so far that it becomes too stressful, too much, and then the masculine comes out in the only dysfunctional way that it knows how, which is controlling, demanding, um, too fovial-focused, too structured, um, telling, not asking, you know, all of those sort of characteristics, I suppose, um, which then obviously have a flow-on effect in a negative way to the team, to the growth of the business. And key stakeholders, which could be clients, customers, internal teams, suppliers, whatever that is for your specific business. Uh, so what are the edges here? What are the boundaries? And which also then is contradictory to the the feminine, but, you know, how does how do we identify and what is the solution here, do you think, Beck? Yes, yeah, challenge because I think... We're, we're talking about the entrepreneurial journey where you hopefully you've had an idea, you've built a business out of it, you've got to a good size and so, you know, success. 
Um, I think the, and there might be growth pains with this power status um, clipping type thing. Um, but when you're in a, like let's call a normal business, like a corporate or something, that's just there. There's no, there's not been, there was a journey maybe 40 years ago or whatever, but we're now stuck in that hierarchical status driven landscape without any remembering of what it used to be like. Yeah. Um, and, and I think organizations really struggle with this. They're sort of, they're stuck um, and they've never seen it. it. You know, when you talk to business owners that have built something up from, from nothing in the sort of entrepreneurial space, they can talk about what it was like in the old days because the old days weren't that long ago and they yeah. can describe what, how they came up with that idea, how they got to the point they're at and all the exciting moments in between. You talk to a big corporate, that's all lost in the history. Um, and they're now just in that space. So I think uh, I think one of the keys is like, you know, we do things like leadership programs and leadership training in organizations. And I really think that one of the keys is how do you get everybody to do their own work? So we can go in and train leaders and go, this is how you lead. This is how you have conversations. This is how you manage teams, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but the real true work has to be the inner work that people do. Because I think that a lot of the dysfunctional masculine comes out, as you say, when people are losing control, um, when when they're fearful, when they don't know how to trust. And so we're in this space where they've never done their own work to learn how to trust unconditionally and learn how to have their own back. And I I was even having a conversation this morning with someone about this and saying that we – most people have conditional trust and conditional respect as in that they'll say, well, respect is earned. Trust is earned. You prove to me that I can trust you and I'll give you my trust. And I say to these leaders, I said, what if it was unconditional? What if, what if trust was unconditional? What if respect was unconditional and you just took it with you wherever you were, because that's your state. And even if you're in an organization where there's a lack of trust around you, do you trust yourself enough to have your own back if things go wrong? And I wonder if we help people have those sorts of insights about themselves, we would have more conscious thoughts about the energy style that we bring into the organization. What do you reckon? Yeah, I love that. And it's almost like it offsets it. So if there's the lack of trust around and how beautiful to bring um, the unconditional love and respect, um, unconditional respect, unconditional trust, then is that going to actually create that bridge or uh, that that um, build that bridge to what people are really yearning for? Because at the end of the day, it's not a natural state and being to be not trusting and not respecting and not loving. And I know the English isn't great there, but you know, that's <laughs> a natural state. So if you can throw a rope, throw a line, build that bridge, also people aren't expecting that. So it takes the other person off guard, which, but to the truest form, I suppose, of human connection. Uh, and all of a sudden it comes back to feeling and being yeah. instead of overanalyzing and overthinking and, you know that that whole over state um, yes. human being an over human being <laughs> um if that if that makes sense so i think that's a really really important and beautiful point that you make back and i can see you're nodding nodding away like yes this is it this is it we're uncovering something here i love it yeah. i think it's that bit of um like like it's a bit of chicken and egg because if you go okay well i'm not going to 
I'm not going to give trust until someone earns it. And so my question would be, therefore, you don't know how to trust yourself to handle yourself if someone doesn't earn it. As in, um, if you just bought it with you and assumed it, and then someone messes up in some way um, and doesn't end up deserving it, you're actually saying to me, you don't trust yourself and how you'd handle that if you're saying to me, you've got to earn trust. I don't know if that came out right, but it's that that bit the self bit has to happen first do you trust yourself yeah it's it's a great thing and I know um I see that in a lot of the leaders that I work with as well where there's you know we might start talking about um certain challenges and key barriers in the business and initially it's my team don't trust me my team don't respect me okay so you know the world around you is a reflection of the relationship that you have with yourself and when we dig a bit deeper it turns out Hmm, the leader doesn't trust nor truly respect, therefore, their team, which, again, what you're saying is it's actually then a level deeper, which can be driven because they don't actually trust and potentially respect themselves to mm. be they need to be to be able to deliver. And this is, this is the other key thing here is, you know, the problem is never the problem. <laughs> um, it's always three levels down, isn't it, which is exactly yes. what uncovered is what this truly comes down to is self-respect, self-trust and self-love. And to truly be able to bring that unconditionally wherever we go, and this is relevant if we're in corporate, leadership, um, small business, medium business, wherever we are in life. What about in life in general, you know, with other relationships? Because this plays out on so many levels. Mm. Uh, if we can find that way to build that self-trust and certain inner certainty, um, well, actually, it's not in the inner certainty to trust ourselves which is really that dance between the masculine and the feminine, isn't it? It is. because if masculine, The trust of if it goes wrong, it goes wrong, we'll deal with it. And if it goes right, great. There's still a lesson there as well. Yeah. And the trust in self is that, that, that strong connection to self, which is the feminine, and then the boundaries that you have around that, which is the masculine. And when those things interplay together, that's when that's when we get great trust of self. Another great way of looking at um, self-trust, one of our mentors um, says this, Sharon Pearson, one of our, both of our mentors, um, self-trust comes when you keep promises to yourself. (laughs) So if we're constantly breaking promises to ourselves, how can we ever trust ourselves? Yeah. Because normally we lose trust in others when they don't keep their promises to us. So how often do you keep a promise to yourself? Yeah, and it's even the little things, isn't it, Beck? It's the things that we think don't actually really matter when, in fact, they matter the most. You know, it's easier to keep a commitment that has somebody else relying on it or it's going to make you look good and help uh, climb the corporate ladder or whatever it might be. But it's the little things like saying, I'm going to put the bin out on Tuesday night at 5 p.m. and you do that every single time (laughs) Um, or going to the gym or it's the stuff behind the scenes that people don't see. You know, it's those things that make such a huge impact. If you are making those promises behind the scenes and you're keeping them, so this brings a great point because, you know, people might be thinking, well, this all sounds great, but how on earth do I build that trust? If I'm, if I'm at a place where I don't, really, um, I'm not, I don't really trust myself and there isn't that certainty that I'll keep promises, uh, you know, what can I do about that? And this trust bank, this keeping the small promises is a key part of that. Uh, isn't, mm. that that's quite important, isn't it, Beck? It is. And, and in an organization, what that translates to is do you keep your standards that you set yourself and do you set great expectations for others? 
And if you let go on either one of those, trust gets eroded in the organization. And sometimes people say, um, uh, like they worry about having the hard conversation with somebody because say somebody's messed up or they've not kept a a behavioral standard or performance standard. And they worry about having the hard conversation with people because they think it's personal. So they they interpret it as like, I'm going to have to have a go at this person. So the reframe on that for me is that, If you don't have the hard conversation, you're allowing a standard or an expectation to slip, which means that the culture breaks. So you're having a hard conversation for the culture. You're not having the hard conversation to tell somebody off. And that to me, I say to leaders, you are the guardians of the culture. So get out there and have the hard conversations to create, develop, maintain, you know, just keep it breathing. Um, and, And again, that comes down to those sustainable practices we talked right back at the beginning um if they're not in a business and one sustainable practice is we keep our standards and we have conversations around them when we don't um that's what keeps the culture going and then i think that helps with the original problem we talked about um when things are flipping into status hierarchy etc etc because status and hierarchy are about the individual whereas what we're talking about is the collective here is like how do we maintain that culture so yeah and we're sort of in a roundabout way we've gone back to sustainable practices we think it's really important we've trust is critical and trust generally comes from the feminine space um and the ability to maintain and develop and make the culture breathe is the mixture of both yep and i think also sharing that because it's another really important point around you can have standards so standards and expectations of self and others and if you have those expectations of others and yet you don't communicate what they are or you don't collaborate on that to a certain point and come up with as a group as a team as a business what are those expectations and values that we want to bring to life then we can't actually hold each other to them so we've mm-hmm. got to be really clear on what they are and then communicate what is that? What does that mean to each of us individually? So even if you're, um, which also brings us back to the the corporate environment, Beck, where yes, we, you know the 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 days of the the head of the organisation or company who built the business from scratch maybe so long go long gone that's not even the relevant conversation anymore. But there's almost these little subcultures within corporate, and this is where every I believe every single leader, manager, um, driver of culture has an opportunity to make a difference um, or at least have a go at making a difference and then you'll soon find out if you're the right fit for the overarching um, organisation and culture, which is, you know, find out what, what still establish those values and standards within your mini team, within your business unit. You can still create your own entrepreneurial mindset and bring that to your business unit and challenge the status quo within the boundaries of what's acceptable within that business or talk to the people who can make, you know, change or or support you in creating this change and then get the team on board. Don't just deliver values and that's it and this mm-hmm. is what they are. Sometimes there might be overarching business organisation company values for sure, but if that's the case, then how do you own it as a team? So collaborate on, so what does this mean to each individual? How do we bring this to life? So it's still not just delivering something that's, you know, wrote, here we are, this is what needs to happen. It's how do you create meaning around that, which could also come back to that feminine 
uh, energy aspect around connection, collaboration and meaning and purpose um, Mm. of what we're doing. So that's another example of combining the two in a corporate environment, combining the masculine and feminine, the structure, what we must have, and then how do we bring that to life in a meaningful way that, that really creates some purpose as well, regardless if it's business or corporate, there's an opportunity to create some waves here and um, yeah. ownership around and accountability around how we're living, breathing the standards, expectations. Well, what I sometimes think of it, um, so sometimes the metaphor I use is it's like uh, the fish and the sea. And I think that um, in entrepreneurship, we had a really good idea about fish. So we wanted to come out with a new fish. I'm hoping this metaphor. <laughs> so we wanted we had a new exciting fish that was going to change the market and so we we get so hung up on the fish and the exciting thing because i don't know this fish has got wings or something i don't know but we get so caught up on that that we forget the fish swims and exists in a sea and so entrepreneurship we're like all about the fish get the fish out there to market create waves etc etc and at the same time, if we are not working on the sea, we'll create a polluted environment where the fish won't survive. And so it's almost like when we set off on a business journey, we have to have, yeah, we've got the idea, we've got the fish. We also need to make sure that we're cultivating the sea. That's mm. the culture bit. And so mm. if we haven't got that two-pronged approach in our minds as we're going through and we're only focusing on the cool thing rather than the cultural, then yeah. we're going to have problems so I sometimes say to leaders, you know, what are you doing to feed the sea? Yeah. That's the bit we all live in. What are you doing to feed that? Yeah, that's great. It's kind of like we've got this vision as well even of a fish tank or when it's really dirty and there's all the fish but then it gets all murky and you can't see through it. And and we've got to remember nothing is siloed here. It's all in, interconnected. It's that mm-hmm. interplay. Um, you know, the other thing that comes up for me around this is when we're talking about sales and remember we're selling either a product, service or an idea. So this is the same thing in any any uh, environment, if there's a team, leaders, etc., is that you're never actually selling that thing. You're selling what that thing will give or the outcome or it's the same kind of thing. It's focusing. Don't, don't have that laser beam focus just on that thing, whether that fish, whether that be um, the specific idea that you're selling or whatever that fish is representing. <laughs> Always take into account the surrounds. It's a great metaphor. I love it. Always take into account the sea, the, you know, what, what's driving the currents? Is it what's driving the, um, you know, if it's rough seas, if it's calm, if it's what's, what's driving all of that and what's the outcome that you want as well? What's the end goal and, and how do you get there collectively? Gosh, yeah. we went off <laughs> a bit of a sea tangent then. <laughs> Some sort of fish world. <laughs> yeah. how else, what else can we do here? So, Beth, let's talk a little bit about um, labels then, shall we? Oh, so, yeah. label of entrepreneurship. I mean, you know, we often talk about the definition, the meaning that things are given because it's so relevant yes. to, you know, the reality. I mean, I often talk about in, in trainings that I that I conduct that we're all speaking we're all speaking English in the training room. However, we're speaking our own dialect. We're speaking different versions of it because we have such different meanings and definitions that we give to things. And um, and then also they can become buzzwords and labels. So entrepreneurship. I mean, what does that mean to you? And what do you think is <laughs> the common understanding or I, I think I'm even just so confused about this now. I don't know. <laughs> well, 
What's funny for me is that um, nobody runs a business or owns a business anymore. Everyone's an entrepreneur. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm, like, I'm saying, okay, well, at what point did that become about like just having a business? Or it was, yeah. So um, uh, oh, I thought a, I sort of look at entrepreneurship in a couple of ways. I think there's um, the the people that are out there doing something that's so creative that is disrupting a market in, in a way that people have never thought about before. And to me, that's a, an amazing. Um, entrepreneurship place and so the people like Elon Musk and stuff like that the way their brains work they're just they're looking at these gaps and they're thinking I can solve that problem in such a different way that their thinking drives it the other side for me is people that look at how how they drive value out of a business and they might turn over lots of businesses or they might be very much in investors into to businesses and they're their outcome is normally how do I get more value out of this or how do I sell it? So uh, a lot of the advice out there for business owners like you and me is that, you know, set your business up so that you're going to sell it. And part of me goes, no, I want my business forever. I love my business and it hurts my heart to talk like that. Um, But the intent is set it up so that it's got the systems and processes in place that you could walk away and it's not just about you. So I get that. Um, but I think I wouldn't classify myself as an entrepreneur because I'm not in business to turn over lots of business, um, make lots of money from lots of different businesses. I'm not in the business of business. I'm yeah. in the business of um, solving problems for leaders. And I, I, so being in the business of business, I think, is entrepreneurship. And I think this creativity, like solving problems in wacky and wonderful ways is as well. So that, that's how I think about it. What about you? Yeah, no, I, I, d- I definitely think um, that's what that's what my definition of entrepreneurship would be as well. But it also brings to mind because we opened this conversation around the creativity of entrepreneurship, which um, you know the the free flowing, which which would indicate that feminine energy. But when I actually think about entrepreneurship, it is about well, for me, you know, it's about building businesses um, with profit in mind. We definitely with the outcome of selling the business, whether you want to or not. It's about having that choice of. If I want to, I can. Um, and also I think entrepreneurs, multiple businesses. So exactly like you said, looking for those gaps in the market and and um, investing in a variety of different opportunities, et cetera, um, that maybe aren't your passion project, you know, maybe aren't the, the businesses that have, have your heart in it, like our businesses do for <laughs> us. And I'm not sure if that, how smart a move that is or if it's you not, know, but it's wonderful. Um, <laughs> it's it's beautiful. I love it. <laughs> um So, yeah, I feel like the technical kind of definition or or I suppose that definition, which is what we talk about, which uh, is interestingly, when I Googled the definition of entrepreneurship, uh, Beck, the uh, definition is the activity of setting up a business or businesses, taking on financial risks in the hope of profit. And, you know, when I hear that, I think masculine. Would you you Mm. agree? Yeah, Activity of setting up a business or businesses taking on financial risks in the hope of profit. Mm. Yeah, I think that's the this interesting part for me is that business of businesses taking on risks, doing for profit is masculine. The looking at the world in a different way and solving problems in a different yes. way is feminine. So it's almost like there's these two definitions that sit complete opposite spectrums. I think they're both completely valid. What yeah. I find hard or what I, 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 if we go to dysfunctional masking again, there's a lot of labeling, like I'm an entrepreneur, so I get the status of an entrepreneur. Yeah. And they might not be doing either of those two things we've just talked about. That's and that right. to me is, dis, is the dysfunctional labeling and status and swanning around. 
Yeah, and I think I think that comes down to buzzwords. You know, that yeah. that's what's kind of cool at the moment. That's what's trending. Um, you know, so that's you know easy for people. Because the other thing, when I think entrepreneur, it, it's like businesses. It's it's not just doing it once. Um, and and Beck, I wonder because what's kind of coming clear for me at the moment is. It's you've got your masculine definition that we touched on in red, but how do you actually achieve that without the driving force of the feminine, of the creative thinking, of the challenging the status quo, going to places where people haven't actually thought could even be possible? So you've got the structured definition of, you know, starting or setting up a business and um, selling it, achieving profit, all of those cool things, but how actually... Can you even get that without that feminine creative thinking? And I just, I don't know that you can. I know. You know, no, we've got to be creative and, and um, on our feet in any business. Yeah. So perhaps we are all entre- entrepreneurs. But no, I'm not, though. No. <laughs> because the other buzz thing that I, I saw a lot as well in corporate was um, taking on an entrepreneurial mindset within your business unit to help, like, take it on as though it is. There's a label for that. Entrepreneur. Yeah. <laughs> Intrapreneur. Oh my gosh. Right. For it. Yes. <laughs> there you go. Intrapreneur. It's not as sexy though. See? No. No. It's, it's, not as sexy as <laughs> it's so funny that we, we want, we like all these things because they're, uh, they're new, exciting and adding value and doing things differently. Um, and we like all of these things. And then we put these things in environments that shut them down. Yeah. So the internal corporate environment shuts a lot of that down because it's got so much, sort of control bureaucracy etc etc so it's like we want this feminine to flower and then we shut it down in a heavily masculine way we've actually had this conversation before i remember trialing um a couple of years ago in a corporate environment and and changing the kpis for a sales um some sales team members around uh you set your so much more free-flowing as opposed to these are your KPIs, these are your benchmarks. It was very much you set them yourself and um, basically you drive that whole process. And I remember you saying to me that, it, and it didn't quite work, there just wasn't the proactive uh, proactivity that I thought there would be um, and there was still almost a reliance on us as the leaders to provide that. And I didn't understand it, but after talking to you, I realised that we haven't actually fostered and created that environment to set it up for success. The um, sea, also, you've got the fishes, you haven't got the sea. Oh, my goodness, it is just the sea. It's all just come together. So, Beck, we're pretty much out of time, so I want to just throw over to you. Uh, any last final words on this riveting conversation around entrepreneurship in this modern modern day of business and, and corporate culture? Uh, I think if you understand, like, okay, so we put a definition around entrepreneurship. God knows if we're right or wrong, we don't really care. We're putting out discussions. So um, I think, but from my perspective, I'm always curious as to where do I sit on that? And I think um, I don't mind taking on the creativity part of it. I'm not in the business of businesses. I'm quite happy with my business and what I'm doing. So, um, so yeah, so I think it's worth understanding, like we've said before, what balance are you? in that so I think that's a good understanding and I think that whatever team you're in whether it's just you on your own um, or you're in a team in a small business an entrepreneurial entrepreneurial business a corporate business like what are you doing to keep that sea like uh, create that sea that's going to nurture people um, because that's really where the magic comes in so I would be saying to people think about how you're creating the sea as well as the thing that you are which might be the fish <laughs> 
I think we've exhausted this metaphor. <laughs> and there'll be lots of things. There'll be lots of fishes. So, again, it's always great, really great to have that helicopter viewpoint. I think that uh, metaphor is going to take off, Bex. That's the seagull, must it be? So much. Oh, <laughs> The that's seagull, whole, that, the that's for another episode. The seagull. <laughs> <laughs> oh gosh, I'm, I'm excited. I can't wait for that one. <laughs> Beautiful. So thank you so much again for everybody for joining us and we can't wait to connect with you again soon for the next episode. Thank you, Nikki, for joining me. It's always an absolute pleasure to have you on this podcast. You are truly our super special guest. And if you'd like to connect with Nikki and find out more about what she does, her website is evergreencoaching.com.au. And she is absolutely passionate about working with businesses to break down the stigma attached to sales. And her mission is to inspire growth and better business. She also has a Facebook page called Evergreen Coaching, where you can pop along and say hello. Thank you for listening to the Captivating Leadership Podcast with Rebecca Livesey. If you enjoyed this episode, please head on over to iTunes and leave us a review as this helps us spread the message and keep the conversations going. If you'd like to find out more about Rebecca's work, go check out her website on AchieveLeadSucceed.com where you can sign up to receive her ebook on the five C's of feminine energy and a video of Rebecca talking about leadership and feminine energy. And we've also got a Facebook group where we talk about all things leadership and culture, particularly around masculine and feminine energy. And that's called Captivating Leadership. So you're very welcome to join us there too. See you soon. Mm-hmm.